Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am continually trying to climb giant cliffs and having to pulse my focus to figure out where the things are. Uh, for those of you that don't know, at the time of this recording, uh, Horizon Forbidden West has just released, uh, and Matt and I are both playing through it, so uh, we're going to have uh, some stuff to talk about that on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this when uh, Lorewatch goes live on Tuesday, uh, stop around for the Blizzard Watch podcast, because I'm fairly confident between Liz, Matt, and myself, that's going to be the pre-show. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Horizon Zero Dawn today, but if you are interested in the entire setup and the story of it, we did an episode a couple weeks ago now uh, going over the story about it, and uh, you can go ahead and give that a listen. And I think we cover everything from start to finish pretty well, and it's a great place to give you a primer before jumping into the new one if you are considering it. Uh, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do please. want to say I just meant in real life. I walk up to walls and just go, mm. And I hope to look for some handholds. I don't. I'm not talking the game. Oh well. Hmm. Okay. I'm gonna have to you reevaluate just a, my life choices. You make a constipated now. face, and sometimes like things light up. <laughs> I, I'm told that this might actually be a sign of like you know neurological damage. But hey. Uh. Well, we're not here to talk about either of those things then today. What we are here to talk about is actually something that was recommended from you, our listeners. And again, if you have show ideas, if you have topics you want us to cover, video games you want us to cover, uh, or questions you want to ask us about anything, and this includes any game that's not just Blizzard related, send them in. And you can send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, shoot us an email. Tell us which show it's for. If you have questions for the other shows, feel free to do that as well. Um, you can also hit us up on our Discord. We have a channel set aside for our Patreon supporters uh, as a way of saying thank you for continuing to allow this show and all of our other ones to exist. Uh, we do like it. We, we appreciate you. Uh, so you can go ahead and toss it into our Patreon Q and podcast question section, which is actually where this comes from. Uh, and if you don't have the ability to support us on Patreon and you don't want to send us an email, we get it. Not everybody has the means. But if you're listening to us, thank you. Uh, and again, as a reminder, if you want to upvote us or like us or give comments uh, on any of the podcast uh, places that you're listening to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anything like that, that does help as well, as well as on Spotify, where you can find us. Um, we do appreciate that. But you can also send us questions on our Q and Podcast Questions channel. That was a whole lot of words there to tell you. Please send us questions. We appreciate it. Uh, but this one here, we're actually going to be doing a series uh, and we'll be inter you know, interlacing this between other episodes, especially with 9.2 coming out uh, very soon for World of Warcraft. We're going to have plenty to talk about there, but we're going to start going through some of the artifact weapons because we've talked about a lot of the expansions. We've talked about dungeons and raids. We haven't talked about the artifact weapons, not. Uh, so we're going to go ahead class by class and make our way through them. And I figured as a special treat, uh, for my co-host who has been absolutely wonderful with me this year, uh, and every year prior for some strange unknown reason, I figured we'd start with warriors. So if you weren't around during Legion and didn't play during Legion and you're new, there were items that were added to the game, uh, called artifact weapons. It was the big sort of mechanic for that entire expansion. And the idea was you would go into your order hall, which was something defined by your class, whether you're a warrior or shaman, uh, the other classes, I guess, exist too, but you know, warriors and shamans for, um, and you were given a task to recover items of great importance in historical, uh, like lore, but also power. And these, in some cases, were items that we had heard of before, possibly that we had seen in use uh, throughout the history of Warcraft, and some of them were brand new, but still had roots in the lore of the universe. And so we're going to start with Warriors. Matt, which one would you like to start with first today? Which of the... Th I think I'll go with Stromkar to start us off. Stromkar, because no, that's the Warbreaker, right? The war, the mm -hmm. uh, Fury Stromkar, one? the Warbreaker, yep. Yeah. It's the arms one. Arms, arms one, thank yeah. you. Uh, Stromkar was interesting for a few reasons. First off, because it was linked to uh, Thordon, who was the first king of the Arathi, essentially the first human king of the first human kingdom. Um, hmm. There were human settlements before... Uh, human tribes, but it was Thoradin who united them. And he did so... Um, I'm trying to think exactly how to put this together. Basically, 
if you know, you now we now know that humans in Azeroth descend from the Vrykul. That the curse of flesh, when it hit the Vrykul, turned them from iron and stone into flesh, but they kept going. Uh, much like we saw on um, Draenor with the orcs, when when the breakers were like began changing and began changing into flesh beings from stone beings, they went from the huge, massive primordials to the Agron, you know, from, from the Magnaron to the Agron to the ogres to finally orcs. And, you know, they kept shrinking. Like orcs are much smaller than ogres, much less Ogron or Magnaron. But it's a single line of descent all the way down to orcs. And much like that process, the Curse of Flesh, when it affected the Vrykul, did the exact same thing. They went from the giant stone and metal Vrykul, the, the iron Vrykul and so forth, down to just the Vrykul you see in Northrend, who are still massive, but they're not, they're made of flesh. And then they went down further. And when this, when humans first started being born to Vrykul, the Vrykul were horrified. They're like, what's, what is this? Like this puny little thing, this, this can't be my child. And many of them were just exposed. They would just put to death. They just took the babies and left them on a mountainside to die. But some Vrykul were like, no, that's still my kid. I'm not gonna, gonna kill it. And that many of those Rykul went south with the tight with the Titanforged Tyr and his allies uh, also Titanforged, and they were all Watchers. Um, Tyr, Aranaya, and Archimedes. You know, I want to say Archimedes, but it's not Archimedes. Bloody heck! I knew I was going to forget the name. Uh, the end boss of Old of Alduar, whose name is completely escaping me. And now but, it's going to escape me as well. That's how this yeah. works. <laughs> but the final boss of of uh, Alduman. Uh, can you talk for a second? I'll go look it up. Or you want to go look it up? One second. Uh, his name is Arcadius, I remembered. Um, basically, those three, a- as a result of their being chased by a Chithraxi sent by Loki, th- there's a lot to this story. But basically, when those three Titanforged went south with the discs of Nerganon, which they had stolen from Loki, so he couldn't corrupt them, uh, they ran south. He sent two Chithraxi, um, Zakajaz. And the other guy, I'm sorry, but Zakajaz is the only important one for this. So he sent them south after the Titanforged. When Tyr realized this was happening, uh, he was one of the, the big watchers. He was like, okay, Arcadis, you and Iranaya, keep going. Take the discs, uh, take the, the, the uh, earthen who were with you, and keep going. And they did. Tyr made a stand, and Tyr actually managed to severely wound one of the two Shithraxi, and kill the other one. Uh, but it was at the cost of his own life. But as a result of that, the humans that came south with them, because many Vrykul and humans came south because they didn't want their kids to be killed, um, they settled in the area around where Tyr died, which eventually you know, became like the tomb of Tyr. And they eventually called the whole area Tyr's Fall. And that's the, the the creature that had fought Tyr and died was also entombed with his with him with his body. It was it was buried with him to keep it from affecting the surrounding area, and the humans spread out from there. And they eventually spread out throughout the entirety of of the northern part of what it was now the Eastern Kingdoms. At the time, it was part of Kalimdor because the the Sundering had not happened yet. When the Sundering happened, uh, the Night Elves blew blew up the world real good. Um, the humans ended up on what's now the Eastern Kingdoms, along with a whole bunch of dwarves to the direct north of them. I mean, I mean, direct south of them, and a whole, whole bunch of trolls to the direct north of them. Humans and the trolls got along fine. They they were both, you know, descended from people that came down with Tyr, although they didn't remember it. But they still got along okay, and the humans eventually got along fine with the gnomes. They, they didn't really have anything they wanted from each other, so they just kind of hung out. But the humans didn't have a kingdom. Like everybody, like they, they had tribes. They, they were not organized on a kingdom basis. They didn't have their own nation. Like for instance, there was a tribe in Tirisfall. Uh, there was another tribe towards, towards where is now uh, the Arathi basin. There was another tribe to the far further North. Um, they were just, you know, in pockets of them, but Thoradin realized if we don't unite, and this was like thousands of years after the Sundering, it, it's like, it's like, Three two thousand years or so ago, from the point of view of modern World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and he realized if we don't unite, the trolls are eventually going to get done with the elves because the trolls and the and the uh, high elves had been fighting for like at this point millennia, 
they they'd been fighting wars to determine who was going to rule in the north and the trolls were winning they were they had tapped into loa based power that they had never even been able to use before and they were pushing the high elves back and the high elves had been on a winning streak for like millennia like i said they were astonished they're like what how is this happening and it's possible that it was happening because some wandering Zandalar came forth and said, hey, here's some extra, here's some help, since you guys don't seem to know what you're doing. And we never got confirmation, like, story-wise, like, they haven't said where that came from, right? No, they, there was talk about it during the Troll Wars thing, but it's never been specifically nailed out, other than there's the the original, like, Zul, there was, like, a, like a, an ancestor Zuljin, like, I'm trying to remember that there's, if you go into the uh, the Highlands, um, not the, not the... The one where the, uh, the the dwarves settled, not Grimbatal, but the place they settled after, um, Airy Peak, mm-hmm. the hinterlands. If you go to the hinterlands, there's the 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 troll buildings there, like like you know Holowatha and all that. That was built by the guy who brought everybody up. He was the guy who was winning the war against the elves, and the elves were like, "Okay, we need help." Uh, and they looked around for allies, and the dwarves were like too far away and didn't particularly care. And they didn't like the gnomes were flighty and you you couldn't really make a deal with them, but the humans had some potential, but they weren't sure about the humans and the humans weren't sure about them. But at this time, Thoradin realized, okay, I, I need help. So he first decided to go and he conquered a bunch of smaller tribes in the area and brought them into his kingdom uh, that he was forming. Uh, and then he went over to what is now Lordaeron. At the time it was just, the place, it was just a place ruled by people who, who lived there. And he met their leader, Lordain. And it was Lordain who became his basically his right hand. His his sort of he had two of them, but the first one was Lordain. And then he went to what is now essentially the Arathi Highlands, and he, he met the you know the Trollbane the, the Trollkalar line. Uh, and like the like the Nath Trollbane's ancestors. And he brought them in as their second his second right, his left and right hand, basically. And the, together, the three of them united humans in the Eastern kingdoms. One of the ways they did this was with the sword that had actually been a sword from a Vrykul. And Thoradin knew how to do Vrykul sword mastery, sword uh, forging. He knew that the secrets of the old, what they, would, what they would just call the old ones. He didn't know anything about who they were specifically because they, you know, all died out. In the Eastern Kingdoms, like the the Vrykul had just either they died or they became humans. So, but he knew the secrets and he had the sword, uh, which he named Stromkar. And when he was using Stromkar, he was practically invincible. He none of the humans could beat him. And when they finally the the elves saw this, they saw that he made a nation. They were impressed enough to make an offer to him. They're like, you know, why don't we we ally with each other and we can we can push the trolls back and we, we can finally make it. So they're not a threat to either one of us. And they thought Thornton would just go for it because he was, you know, obviously just a dumb human. Thornton was like, no, I don't see that. I need you. They're going to keep attacking you. Uh, eventually they'll win, but they'll be weakened. And when that happens, I can take them out. So here's an idea. You have that fancy arcane magic that I don't have. None of my people know how to do that. Why don't you teach it to us? Say a hundred of us. Then I'll help you. The elves resisted this because they didn't. The last thing they wanted was a bunch of jumped up savages, as they viewed them, uh, you know, with arcane magic. Arcane magic was one of the ways that the elves maintained their their power in in the north. But clearly, it wasn't enough anymore, and they needed help. Eventually, um, Anisterion, uh, Kael'thas's father, was forced to come to a deal, and part of that deal was, yes, I'll give you the 100 human mages you want if they can learn it. It's, if they don't learn it, it's not my fault. But if they can learn magic, they can. you can have 100 of them. Secondly, we'll, we'll use our magics to enhance the sword that you have, since it's obviously already an incredibly powerful weapon. We'll make it even more so. Thirdly, I'll, we'll owe you a favor that your bloodline can call upon at any time. One favor... And our, our people will come to your aid as you're coming to our aid now. The deal was struck because Thoradin was much more canny at negotiating than they'd expected from a guy who just learned how to read. Seriously, Thoradin learned how to read like in his late adulthood because humans didn't have a system of writing yet. 
like he had to to basically create one in order to that's how far down you know the, the curse of flesh and the abandonment that's how far down it left them they couldn't even read the stuff that their ancestors left behind for them so he had to learn how to read in order to effectively make this deal and he did he taught himself so they made the, the deal was struck and Stromkar was enhanced with elven magics which since the sword was already enhanced by titan stuff the elven magics just made it better and it was Stromkar that was in Thordin's hand during the whole time of the Troll Wars. Uh, and finally, they won. They, uh, the, the, com- the combination of the humans and the, and the elves defeated the trolls. And they did it in a very interesting way. Um, the humans actually staged an attack and then seemed to lose. And lose badly. And retreat. And so the trolls, because the trolls were incensed that the humans dared to attack them, chased them south. All the way through the Alterac Mountains, through through a place called Alterac Valley that you may have heard of, and then finally, when they hit Alterac Pass, that's when the hundred mages showed up. The, those human mages had all mastered magic really, really fast, much faster than the elves had expected, and they basically just dropped. Like imagine a hundred mages all casting Flame Strike or something like that uh, at once, and they just took out a big chunk of the troll military just in time for the elves to show up from behind them. Now they were trapped in a pincer. They just lost their entire front rank to, to arcane fire. They were getting completely hammered by arrows from behind. And when they tried to turn and deal with that, the humans who had, if nothing else, one heck of a, of a, an infantry force smashed into them from the front. And this was the last time trolls reigned in nor- in the North. Other than Zulaman, the Amanis were done. This is this was their end. They retreated into Zulaman, they shut the door, and they stayed there for the next couple thousand years until the, the first war. This was it for them. With that done, uh, do, you, do you want me to keep going? Or do you Please, like, want to jump in here? Uh, you know more you with, know more about the warrior weapons than I do. Yeah. So. With that done, uh Thoradin was like, okay, I guess I have to be king now. And so for a while he ruled as king. And, but he didn't really want it that badly. He wasn't particularly into it. Um, he had children. He had descendants. But he wasn't particularly loving being king. He was more interested in the, in the origins of his people. And his friend Lordane was like, well, I know there's a place not too far from my settlement you know, that's got some weird buildings that you might want to go look at. That seems pretty old. And it was pretty old because it dated back to before the Sundering. He went up there and he found the Tomb of Tyr. And after a while, he figured out a way inside the Tomb of Tear, which was a bad move because the corpse of the of the the, the Chithraxi general Zakajaz, and I always say Zakajaz. I don't know if it's Zakajaz. I don't know how to pronounce this name, but I say Zakajaz. <laughs> Close enough. I like I like I like Zakajaz. Yeah, he he found the thing there dead, but since it was an old god creation, they don't stay dead. Death doesn't know what to do with them, so it was dead, but it was still dreaming. And it was very much like if you've ever seen the Master's Glaive uh, in in former Darkshore, mm-hmm. that that big monster with a giant sword in its head, like that thing. Uh, and originally, just the sword was sticking out of the ground, and eventually they dug it up, and then they pulled the sword out, and it got up, and then they had to get killed again. It was just like that. Um, when Tyr's weapon was removed from it by cultists at the time, it started to move, and it was entirely Thoradin's fault for having exposed the place in the first place. So Thorin realized I have to do something to stop this, and he charged in and fought it, and he couldn't kill it. Not not even with with Stromkar. So finally, he buried it in in the creature's head, which put it back down on the ground, leaving Stromkar in its head, and he collapsed from his wounds and died. So he died in Tears' tomb, but he'd stopped Zakajaz from coming back for a time. While the sword was in its head, the the Titan power and magics that had been used to enhance it began absorbing the shadowy power of of the old gods as well. So now it was also void-powered. It's like, yeah, I, I, we've got all sorts of stuff up in this thing. But also, while it was doing that, it couldn't, you know, he couldn't regenerate because the sword was right in his brain, essentially. But it, this was, a, eventually it was going to get up. This was just, it was a problem. This wasn't a, This wasn't a final solution. A bunch of crazy priests who wanted to empower a dagger, um, this goes into the whole... Uh, the 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 priest shadow dagger, which I'm we'll talk about eventually, I'm sure, we will, but we're not yeah, talking we'll, about we'll, that. We'll get to Zaltatha that people yeah. have very strong feelings about. They found the tomb and began trying to get into it. Um, 
and they used the body of Zakajaz to empower that dagger, which unfortunately seemed to awaken it to a degree. And if it weren't for your player character, whoever you happen to be, because every warrior got this quest and every warrior got to do it. So your player character found their way into the tomb, found the sword and ripped it out of Zakajaz's head while he was regenerating and used it to kill him once and for all. In so doing, absorbing the, la- the last bit of shadowy power and empowering the blade still more. Uh, the reason the blade was called Warbreaker is because it was the weapon used to win both the wars to unite humanity and the troll wars. As a as a weapon used by you as a warrior weapon, when you use it, it has one really cool special effect. When it is equipped, if you go into, say, any of the big troll dungeons or raids, like Zulaman, mm-hmm. Zulgarub, or the Throne of Thunder with the trolls in the first section, they will run away from you. They do not want to fight you because you are holding that weapon. That weapon is even more terrifying to them than the troll Kalar weapons. Because sure, those weapons kill trolls. I mean, troll Kalar means troll killer. But that's, you know, anything, you know, an an arrow can kill you. This sword breaks your whole military. This is the sword that was held in Thoradin's hand when he destroyed the Amani forever. There's a lot of parallels with this sword to like what you would get from almost like classic uh, high fantasy fiction, but also like even mythology where like it's a sword of Kings, right? It's a sword of Mm -hmm. immense power, not just because of the power itself, because it is a powerful symbol because even, even after everything that occurs, the sword is still like, it's a symbol of Arathor. It's a symbol yeah. of, of It's the everything. sword that made Arathor. Absolutely. Yeah. Without this sword, there would have been no kingdom of Arathor. Without this sword, there wouldn't have been a victory in the Troll Wars because there wouldn't have been a human nation to join forces with the High Elves in the first place. And without this sword, the, the Chithraxi would have gotten up. And we know what happens when Chithraxi get up because the other Chithraxi did get up. Mm-hmm. And it literally pushed the trolls to near extinction. Like the other Chithraxi in this in this question is the one that was buried under what is now um, Zulgarub, and it got up, and it's the one that caused the troll uh, Akir wars. Uh, it, it, you, it grabbed all the Akir it could, and it threw them at the trolls, and it they just barely won. And now the sword is. The, meanwhile, the other one was was unable to to join it. If they'd had two of them. If there had been two Shithraxi lords fighting that war, it's quite possible that the trolls could not possibly have stopped them. And and think about it this way too, right? Like, so think about some of the other times that we've seen Kithraxi warlords in the past. Uh, they will talk. We talk about it a little bit when we talk about like the the Dragon Soul raid and and, and everything else. But at Wormrust Temple, during everything that you're doing, there are two assaulting it, and it is taking the combined efforts of all of the Dragon Flights to hold them at bay. And the Dragon Flights were not involved at this point, not yet. So like this is this is a massive power scale. And yet here is Stromkar who maybe could have could have held two at bay, but definitely was able to slay one. And that's a that's not an insignificant thing. Right. Nope. And plus, I mean, it's it's not just the power of the weapon itself. Not that it had the original power of the Titan Forged that fought the old gods, not that it also had the high elven magics, not even that it also absorbed the shadow magic of of the uh the Chithraxi, but it's the symbology, which Joe mm-hmm. just pointed out. It's the fact that it was, it was a symbol of humanity's ascension into, into existing. Like before this humans were this cast off group of, of flesh cursed Vrykul that nobody cared about or even knew much about. They they didn't even rate. If you go back and look at the war of the ancients, they're not, there are no humans in that. No one cared about them. They, no one asked them what they thought of what was going on. Uh, they just weren't important. There were barely any of them to speak of. And they were like, they were all the way over on the other side of the continent and not important, but it is the rise of, of, of Arathor that turns humanity from a bunch of savages that even the trolls will think are like, you know, those guys are never going to be a problem to a world power. I mean, even after Arathor, breaks up into seven kingdoms. Those seven kingdoms are still, we're still a force to be reckoned with mm-hmm. even after the fall of most of them. And now look, look at it right now. Suddenly we've got, uh, you know, 
Colteris is back as a force. Gilneas is back as a force. A Stormwind is a force again. These these countries have continued from that moment, and it was this sword that was this sword is the Excalibur of of World of Warcraft. I believe. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say that exact same thing. And it, there's a lot of iconography that you find in Warcraft with like heraldry that involves sword in human lands, whether it's on a shield, a crest, or things like that. Um, like recently we've sort of hyper-focused on the, uh, the lion motif of Stormwind, but before that, before Stormwind was the prominent human faction, when Lauderon was still around, when the other, when, when Arathi was still around, when, when these human kingdoms were still at the height of their power, it was not uncommon for their heraldry to involve a sword of yeah, indeterminate a sword and a shield origin. or a sword. Yeah. yeah. Which is thought many times over to be a callback to Stromkar as this this symbolism of the humanity sort of coming together and rising up. Uh, and to put it into some maybe out-of-game context, but I think it's actually really important, everything that Matt said about the humans becoming a power and becoming a kingdom and having that symbology behind it is important. When the very first Warcraft game came out, uh, the RTS... Way back when, it was orcs versus humans. It was not orcs versus alliance. It wasn't horde versus alliance. That stuff really didn't start getting hammered out until Warcraft 3, really. There were token forces when you started getting into the second game, with as, as Matt pointed out, the, the second war where you had the the elves helping out and things like that in some other, some other items. But for the most part, it was human forces. It was knights. It was clerics. It was footmen. It was warriors of the human nations that were waging this war by themselves. And they weren't necessarily on the back foot. Yes, they had tanks and things like that from that they would purchase from the dwarves. But even then, the dwarves were still sitting away. They were still in Ironforge. Nobody else had joined them. The elves yeah, the were humans, still in the elven The humans only really lost that war because their king was assassinated by somebody he trusted. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason that they lost. And had it not been that, they were still powerful enough that they would have flat out won. Yeah, they were holding the the, the orcs off quite effectively. Um, it's also interesting to point out, too, that in addition to all the stuff I said this sword did, and it did do all of them, think about this one thing. Without that sword's existence, without Stromkar, there's no Stormwind. There's no victory in the third in the second war because there's no Arathor bloodline to to come down to you know uh, Anduin Lothar who is the direct descendant of Thoradin. Anduin Lothar and his his line left Arathor to come to Stormwind and Aradin, you know Anduin Lothar was the the beneficiary of that oath sworn by Anisterion because he didn't swear it to the kingdom of Arathor he swore it to Thoradin's bloodline and it was that sword that made it possible for that to even happen. So without Stromkar's existence, Anduin Lothar can't go and say, all right, you know, we're asking you for help. And Anastarian's like, no, I'm not going to give it to you. And Lothar goes, all right, I'm invoking the promise you gave my ancestor. Yep. And then he had to do it. And without this sword, that doesn't happen. So while there are other swords that are that are famous and powerful and well thought of in human lands, for instance, uh, Quel's Aram, the High Sword, which may or may not be Ashkandi, the Great Sword of the Brotherhood. There's there's lots of great swords. I mean, there's lots of both great swords in terms of really big swords, and also you know swords that are amazing and awesome and have great lore. And even even like trolls have some great swords. Like yeah. look at look at uh, what is it, uh, Zinakir? Yeah, is that, or oh, you're talking Zinroth. I think Zinroth. Oh, yes, sorry, Zinroth, Zinrock, and Jinrock, you know, which are both amazing swords, but. No sword. Stromkar. Yeah. Stromkar is like I said, it's the Excalibur of, of World of Warcraft, even more so than like Ash the you know, the, the Ashbringer was made in memory. Like we remember when that was made. It was made in the lifetime of people who are still alive. It was made by Magni. You know, it was made by the King of the Dwarves, who's currently a diamond person walking around talking for Azeroth. That guy made the Ashbringer. So while the Ashbringer is an amazing weapon and definitely deserving of its artifact status, in terms of its lore, it's a much more recent weapon. Stromkar predates humanity. It was originally a Vrykul weapon that was handed down till humans, you know, existed. And it was then handed down all the way to Thoradin, who's the one who took it up and reforged it and made it into what it is today. So it's really fascinating. Uh, 
in terms of its its origin. Uh, Thoradin would not have become king without it. So that's that's I think that's enough about Stromkar. I don't know what you think. I think that is enough, and I think we can go ahead and talk about the uh, what is it the the next one, which is the War Swords of the Valajar. Yeah, the War Swords of the Valajar, the next ones. So the War Swords of the Valajar, and and I will probably be leaning heavily on on Matt again for this, but I'm going to give him a break so he can just talk for. Um, but Matt actually wrote an article on these, and and I was going back over it in preparation for this. Uh, and there's a, a a thing that was called out here that I thought was really interesting. You have this quote that you pulled, which is, In ages past, the Titanic Watcher Keeper Odin betrayed the sorceress Helia, killing her and twisted her spirit into a spectral Valkyr. He forged this pair of swords for the mightiest, mightiest of his storm-forged Valajar, but Helia stole the swords and infused them with a portion of rage. She gave them to her own champion, who used them to hunt the greatest of heroes and drag their souls away to serve Helheim. These swords stir their owner into unrelenting and punishing attacks that overcome a target's defenses and leave no Opex. These are essentially rage blades. Um, they've turned into rage blades. And the best thing, or the best analogy I can I can make it uh, for, you know, especially these being a Fury Warrior's weapons, uh, is they're kind of like the swords that Kratos bargains for in God of War, kind of like the Blades of Wielding them gives you immense power, power that is essentially infused not only of Titans, but also now we know uh, with the dark mysteries that Helia has been uh, privy to for all this time, whether it's the from the Jailers or from the Old Ones, but definitely something that harkens back to the Shadowlands, which I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they basically turn you into a berserker. They turn you into somebody who will wind up going on murderous rampages. And then when you die, you don't go to the Shadowlands. You don't go to the Halls of Valhalla, essentially. You don't go to Odin's Feast Hall. Halls of Valor. Halls of Valor, excuse me. Uh, But what you do do is you go to Helheim, a really dark and dingy place that is essentially hell uh, that we get to experience as players. You don't want to be there, but it's... it. And anybody who picks these up at before the heroes get them, before you as the hero gets them, is at risk of falling prey to it. And I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, part of the whole idea of the story behind it is getting those weapons back and now purging it of sort of the, t- yes? Not exactly purging it, no. Okay. Um, what happens is when Odin made them, he gave them to like one of his Stormforged, who was named Ingvar. Ingvar had actually found a whole bunch of creatures corrupted by C'Thun and destroyed them, but he died fighting them. Uh, when Helia brought Ingvar's spirit to the Halls of Valor, Odin said, this dude, this dude's got the stuff, made him a, a, a Stormforged and gave him the swords. And so Ingvar used them in, in Odin's service. He was a very loyal servant of Odin. When Helia finally managed to turn against Odin because Loken broke the bonds on her that kept her under his control, Ingvar stood up against her because he wasn't in the halls of valor when she banished them. She remember, she banished the halls of valor to another plane mm-hmm, of existence. Mm-hmm. Ingvar wasn't there because he was often outside of them doing things for Odin. So he went and attacked her. He knew he wasn't going to win this. He knew she was way more powerful than he was, but he knew it was his duty to attack her. She destroyed him. And then she claimed the swords and everything you just said happened. Eventually when she was, doing what she was doing, she was grabbing Vrykul spirits and turning them into the undead Cavaldir. We're pretty sure that she got that knowledge from the Jailer. Yeah. Um, When she was doing that, one of the Cavaldir was named Vigfus Bladewind, and he was was like one of the best psychotics she had. She was like, oh, this guy's crazy. Here, here's these two swords that are infused with my bitterness, my spite, my hatred, my rage for what was done to me. Go ahead and Go kill people with them. That that would make me happy. And and he did for for many eons. Uh, he went around slaughtering anybody that that you know he thought Odin might have wanted to claim for the uh, halls of valor, and he would kill them with these swords. So when you the the hero get up there, he's like, go to the go after this guy Vigfis, kill him for me, and and get the swords. And you do every you know he he's a good fighter, but you know you're you're the champion. You kill him. And you grab the swords. They're not purged of anything Odin did. I mean, of anything hell you did. They're not cleansed in any way. When they're in your hands, you still have. They're still as quote unquote corrupted as they ever were. 
because they're corrupted with her rage. This is her anger in sword form. So they still have all the power Odin bestowed on them, but they also have Helia's just absolute fury at what he did to her. And he doesn't do anything to cleanse them in any way. Interesting. Yeah, they're they're empowered by both Odin and Helia, and that's how they stay. And when you use them, uh, when you you said they turn you into a berserker, that's not that's not inaccurate. That's pretty much what they turn you into. Um, they even have a form where there are two axes with giant chains on them that link them to your arms. So the the Kratos comparison is even more apt than you might have thought, because yeah, one of their forms is big axes with chains that go like down your arms. Um, but yeah, that, that is what they are. They're the weapons made directly by Odin. Um, I don't know if Odin actually forged them. Like, I'm not sure he might've had somebody else actually do the forging, mm-hmm. but he empowered them. Like he's the one that, you know, no. Okay. They were crafted by, yeah, that's, they were crafted by one of, uh, Odin's best Smiths. It doesn't say, so the greatest of the very cool Smiths, it doesn't say the name. But taking the Keeper's word, you know, the Smith forged perhaps the greatest weapons ever created by Valkyr, and then Odin blessed the swords, imbuing them with his own power. So before, when Ingvar had them, they just had the power of Odin. When Helia grabbed them, she put her own rage into them and gave them to Vigfis. When you kill Vigfis, you get both. So yeah, they're they're nuts. They, they are very powerful weapons. They don't even look like swords. They just look like big slabs of hate. Uh, it, it half looks like you're just taking meat cleavers to everything that comes near you, except of course the meat cleavers the size of your entire body. Um, so yeah, I, I'm actually really fan, fan, a real big fan of the War Swords of the Valajar. They're they're actually really fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the whole story though. That's that's their lore. They've been around for a very long time, but for most of it, they were just being used by a of a Cavaldir to kill anybody that you know he wanted. And now then then you got them. So that's that's pretty much it for those. Okay. Uh, there is one it's not as long a story as Stromkar because just Stromkar <laughs> has more stuff going on. And Stromkar, but, Stromkar is more rooted in the, uh, the history of the humans as far as that yeah. goes. The, the war swords, I mean, their history is just as, you know, long, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, they, they were just being used by, you know, Vrykul to like Cavaldia to kill Vrykul for a long, long time. So they, there's probably stories about them, but we don't really, the one real story is that there's one guy who studied them. And through studying them, figured out that Odin was telling fibs about Helia. He's like, wait a minute, why did Helia like? What was she so angry about? So that's that's cool. There's a bit if you if you these all these weapons, just like every other artifact. If you go to your order hall, you can look at like books like with the history that you've discovered of your, each of the artifacts that you got. There's one for the war swords that as you read it, it's like there's some there's the guy writing this is clearly kind of like dubious about Odin's story. He like reports it, but it is definitely like a I don't know about this. This doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, that that's cool. But at this point I'll shut up so Joe can introduce the next one. So the last one on our list is the scale of the earth warder. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read the the quotation pulled out here because I think it frames it pretty well. Uh, it's an impenetrable shield crafted from the scale of the black dragon aspect Neltharion, the Earth Warder, before the old god's corruption overcame him. The formidable Vrykrul king Magnar Icebreaker carried the shield into combat and won victory after victory in the face of grim odds. What he, when he finally fell in battle, it was due to treachery by servants of the Valkyr, Helia. The shield is now entombed with King Magnar's body in the path of kings in storm. So this is another one that is sort of tied with, with Helia's uh, sort of interference, which, again, we're starting to understand sort of the depth and breadth of what actually happened a little bit more. But it's also tied to the dragon aspects, and in particularly because it's it's tied to Deathwing, it's tied to Neltharion. I don't think we ever find out if when what period of time we know that it was before corruption overtook him, but we don't know how long ago that was. We don't really know exactly how long ago. I think you speculated that it was almost like eleven thousand years, if not more. It would have had to be at least eleven thousand years, if not longer, because. We don't know exactly when the dragon aspects were chosen. Mm-hmm. It would have been had to be after that. So, but it would have been long before the sundering because the dragon aspects were well established as the dragon aspects by the time of the the War of the Ancients when the the Legion invaded. Uh, it, I it's at some point significantly after the fall of the Black Empire 
significantly before the foundation of even the troll empires. At that point, Neltharion was created. It's very possible that at that point, as part of the whole getting Odin to back off and be okay with this, the Earthwater might have deliberately given one of his scales to the you know the the uh, the Vrykul who were serving uh, Odin just to get him to back off. Because remember, Odin didn't want the aspects created in the first place. Uh, Tyr did, and while Odin was the prime designate, he was afraid of Tyr because Tyr was the one who very willingly put himself in danger in a way that nobody else did. He, he was the one that everyone kind of knew Tyr was the best of them, and Odin didn't like that. Odin wanted him to be the best of them, but Odin had you know ego and anger issues and other things. What he did to Helia is a really good demonstration of one Odin's problem. If you told Odin he couldn't do something, it drove him mad. He became infurious. Um, also, it is worth pointing out that Odin's permanently scarred. Uh, that that beard of flame that you see coming out of Odin's face is not a beard. That's the result of Ragnaros melting his face. Mm-hmm. That's his blood essentially bursting forth as flames from when Ragnaros grabbed his face and melted it. He's got issues. And so it's quite possible Neltharion realized, if I don't get this guy off our backs, he's going to keep interfering. It might, in fact, have been the creation of the Stormforged that got him to do it because uh, you know one of the, the Stormforge who gives you the quest to go get the scales when when odin says go find these things go talk to this guy it's the son of the king that wielded the so the, the shield he got to go up into odin's version of heaven but his father didn't because helia that's when helia betrayed him at that exact moment so magnar icebreaker was carrying that thing around for who knows how long before Helia finally said, you know, I'm done, I'm free, and I'm going to take all you out. So that, again, it has to be at least before 11,000 years ago. It has to be before the foundation of, of any of the nations that existed during the War of the Ancients. Before the Mogu, you know, had their rebellion and the Pandaren rose up, before the trolls dominated the world, before the Night Elves came along and took it over from the trolls, before any of that, this had to happen. And it had to also be before Neltharion was corrupted. And that's tricky because we don't know exactly when that happened either, mm -hmm. but we know that it did before the War of the Ancients. So it has to be at least before that. The the interesting thing about, I think about that too is we know now, thanks to Legion in particular, where Neltharion's lair was. It wasn't some extra planar space. It wasn't some weird, uh, like you can only get to it if you're corrupted or, or, or have access to, to certain portals like the Emerald Dream. He was very much tied to the physical mountains and the deep places as much as any of the other dragons were tied to their elements. And we mm -hmm. know about that in High Mountain. We actually go there and we yep. start to see, you know, this is where he retreated to when, you know, he needed to have things, uh, you know, repaired or, or, you know, rest or whatever the case was. This is where his clutches were originally. Uh, this is before he got shot into deep home uh, where, you know, he enslaved folks to, to stra strap elementium to him. Like this is, prior to that, but we also know that there are shards and essences of there. And one of the things that I like about this in particular is that it actually, unlike a lot of the other dragon flights, makes Deathwing, or in this case, Neltharion, feel like the most, not to be a pun here, but grounded of them all. He sheds, or he you know, is is in his element while one dreams and transcends our reality. Another one exists within the webways of time and space. Uh, another one is so focused on breathing life into the world that, you know, all other things don't matter, essentially. Uh, or, you know, they're in the place where they're trying to uh, have all of the ley lines and, and make sure that magic is curated. But here he is making sure the mountains don't crumble, making sure the land is still ready to be tilled uh, before he goes and suffers from the, the corruption, before he falls to it. And we don't know if this maybe started as a gift because the Vrykrul aren't too far away, right? There are, they're not too far away from... No, before the Sundering. Yeah, uh, if you look right at there. Where Northrend and the and the Broken Isles are right, right from each other. Yes. They're not far away at all. The uh, Storm Peaks... And the Howling Fjord are like, you just you could just sail easily right now 
from them to the to the Storm Peaks in in uh, the in the broken in the Broken Isles, mm-hmm. and during before the Sundering, those places would have been coterminous, and we can even see that because the path of the Titans starts in Northrend and then just goes into the water, and then it comes up again in Zandalar. So we can tell that all this stuff was relatively close together before the Sundering. It's really interesting to me to think about too. You were talking about this stuff. One of the things we know is that there's the legends of what Neltharion used to do before he became what the, the the night elves called Zaxxus. Yep. And he used to keep like he would very he would be subtle about creating natural barriers between peoples. There's a reason why when you go through the the for lack of a better term the vanilla world, this is sort of the lore reason why there are such big mountain ranges that separate zones. He would literally create geographic barriers to keep things separated. Yeah. And then when he became crazy and turned into Deathwing, he began taking them down to cause wars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things. So we don't know we don't know why exactly his scale ended up in some Vrykul's hand. I mean, it's theoretically possible that he got into a fight somewhere and it fell off, but it's also possible he gave that to them. And again, I think there is some possibility to the idea that he gave it to them as sort of a peace offer between the aspects and, and the uh, Titan forged, you know, tier at the time tier would have been advising them and he might've said, Hey, give it to him, let him have it. And then he'll back off. Or, or it may have been a warning thing. Cause don't forget the Vrykrul were not, they weren't necessarily always the villains that we see in game. Oh, almost certainly not. No, right. I'm, I'm saying that they would have been the ones that were serving Odin. But even if they weren't serving Odin, even beyond removing Odin from it, they were also fierce protectors and guardians of wherever they were. And you can see that sort of hangover, which I think is really interesting. If you go to Stormheim, if you go through uh, um, anywhere in Northrend where where they've settled, especially particularly around um, where Ice Crown Citadel is, even though they've been tainted, they still retain the vestiges of their normal life before they were, you know, corrupted and, and essentially turned into to what they are now or what we think of them they were great also, warriors they were this is where humans get their their warriorness from really but i just want to read you the flavor text on the shield it was one of neltharion's cast off scales it saved magnar's life the blast of flame parted around the black scale but the sheer force carried magnar out of the lair sending him tumbling down the shores of high mountain this go. makes it sound like he stole it it does make it sound like he stole it but it also makes it sound like Neltharion didn't really try particularly hard to kill him because Neltharion absolutely could have just said, oh, okay, I can't, I can't kill you with my flame breath. Here comes all, all of me. I'm pretty freaking big. You know, if you've seen the aspects, they're pretty freaking big. Deathwing was extremely big for one of them. But even before he was Deathwing, he was Neltharion. He was big. He could have just gone and like crushed that guy. Well, but and he did they also have the um. What are the? I, why can I not think of the name of that race at this point either? Draconids? No, the um, the troll. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the droobs or something. The droogs. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but they were. They also served him, right? Like he had a. Yeah. He, had a he essentially had a standing army. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So like he didn't go after him with the army. He didn't. He could have collapsed the mountain pet tunnels to keep them within. Could have cut off all sources of egress uh, from where like he could have escaped. I mean, so yeah, I think there was definitely some intent behind it. If I had to hazard a guess, but regardless, that's where it came from. Uh, that's when he got it, and he had it for quite some time before he, you know, Helia finally. Keep in mind that Helia's betrayal was significantly later. It was before the Sundering, but it was mm-hmm. significantly later. So he would have had it for a while before he finally ended up dead. But is there anything else that you would like to mention about the warrior artifacts before we call it a day? I do think it's interesting that the warrior artifacts are, by and large, very lore-heavy, very connected to the lore of the Legion expansion, and very much not in the vein of other classes' artifacts. Mm-hmm. If you look at, say, the Shaman artifacts... At least one of them is pre-existing. Yes. Uh, one of them is not. I mean, the, the claw weapon, both the claw weapon and the... One of them's from the, another uh, planet. The claw was yeah. made made from uh, scratch for the Legion. We, we'll probably do Shaman next, but... Yeah, but the, the, the healing mace is rooted in Ashara and so forth, so that there's it's connected to the, again to the lore of Legion. And uh, But the hammer is the Doom Hammer. 
Yeah. You know, you, you, it's the doom hammer. You've seen the doom hammer before, just like for paladins. There's the, uh, there's the Ashbringer for, uh, I'm trying to think if like hunters, I don't think hunters and paladins, I don't think they got, you know, the hunters got, you know, paladins got the Ashbringer. Paladins got the Ashbringer. The hunters got yeah. the, uh, the bow to, uh, the bow of wind runner. Yeah. Uh, Death Knights didn't get anything that, that they'd ever seen before, but they do get to take the pieces of, of Frostmourne and turn them into two swords. So that's still that's still Frostmourne, even if it's not. Uh, but the warrior one's just completely new. Mm-hmm. And there are other other classes have the same thing. Um, but regardless, it is interesting that they're they're fairly unique in that way, that they are they are all pretty heavily tied to the Vrykul and the and their origins and the the lore and, of the expansion. And not only that, but I think it's also really neat how they're tied to some of the more ancient history of the world, not just because they're they're based off the Vrykul, but there's some very significant events tied up with them. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the other a lot of the other artifacts and we'll get into it as we talk about them, they are important, but these ones tend to feel more important to the world at large. Large pieces of what we know of Azeroth wouldn't exist. Possibly Azeroth wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the events tied up with these specific ancient items. And I think that is absolutely fascinating because, again, like you pointed out, there's very few other items that can claim that. And it is very unique. And I also think it's important because... It's often said that a warrior is the oldest, uh, the oldest combatant that could ever exist. Like it's the, the like saying it's the oldest profession. And there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to Warcraft. While there was priests and clerics and mages, and uh, now we have death knights and monks. Uh, everything really started rooting back to that first warrior, even before language existed. That took up sword and shield stick and stone and defended their tribe or defended their people and you see that here it is just deep ancient lore and i it's something that i absolutely these these acts um but i think that's going to do it for today folks uh want to remind you that blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, as always, if you do have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you have so- show suggestions, send them in as well. You can also find us on Discord. We have a Patreon queue and podcast question for our Patreon supporters as a way of saying thank you, uh, which is where this series of podcast shows was actually derived from. Thank you. Uh, and if you don't have the ability to support us on Patreon, go ahead and send us those questions at uh, our queue and podcast questions channel. We look there as well. Uh, and one last reminder, folks, before we call it a day, all of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the Blizzard, the, the employees of Activision Blizzard, as well as the game industry and all industries at large in demanding change for a better tomorrow and safer work. And with that, folks, we'll see you next week.